0: a follower of Jesus, is the most important thing in my life. The most healing, healthy thing for the human brain is a belief in God and prayer. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd, and welcome to the Spiritual Laws of Nature and you have found principle spiritual law number one. All right, so this is the starting place, uh, but I hope you've watched some of the foundational materials so that you know where I'm coming from, what we're trying to accomplish, uh, all that sort of thing. I may repeat a little bit of that through uh, the Greatest Principle here, but um, for the most part, I'm not. So, if you wonder who is this yo-yo, and um, am I interested in what he's saying, I think the foundational material will be important to you. Okay. So, spiritual law number one. Uh, I've called it the Greatest Principle, For the longest period of time, uh, probably a couple of decades, uh, when I went to write it into a book, my publisher didn't like that name. So in some countries it was named Beyond Willpower, in some countries The Love Code, in some countries both. Okay? And it's been featured on these places, interviews, uh, you know, things like that when it came out. But anyway, um, let me give you a little bit of background uh, about number one, because most of the spiritual laws are going to be, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes. And in that time, we'll sort of uh, lay a foundation, sort of give a diagnosis. Who is this for? What situations are this for? And then some practical steps you can take from that in your life today. All right, and and my guess probably five to twelve spiritual laws um, give a person a complete whole for them. Those are all the ones they have to have to live their best life possible. Okay, but the five to twelve that make up that whole are different for different people and different circumstances, okay? I think you'll understand the ones that apply to you. You'll have maybe a little bit of an aha uh, or, oh, you know, yeah, that sort of fits this situation I've been struggling with or something like that. But I'll also give you my two cents of who they're for, the circumstances they apply to as well. All right, there's a good bit of overlap in the spiritual laws. The way I look at it, it's like um, a great chef basically uses all the same ingredients as a terrible cook, right? They use salt and pepper and oregano and chicken and salad and, you know, fish and uh, they use the same ingredients, really, okay? And not only that but the great chef uses all the same ingredients to make hundreds maybe unlimited different dishes okay well the spiritual laws are built on spiritual principles okay and those principles are like the ingredients of whatever meal you're cooking, or the chef is cooking, okay? And with those spiritual principles, you can apply them to all any situation and every situation in life, and at least as far as I've ever seen, any person, uh, no matter where they're coming from and what their issues are. But this first spiritual law that I call the greatest principle is different. Um, It is not only number one chronologically, and I'll explain that in a minute, but it is number one as far as uh, no matter what your 5 to 12 are that make a hole for you, this is one of them. This is one for everybody in every situation, every circumstance. Okay? So, just wanted you to be aware of that. So The Greatest Principle will probably be, uh, depending on how long I talk and uh, how long they want them to be, the guys that are doing all this for me on the technical side, it'll probably be at least three segments, maybe five or six. But I will for sure tell you when we're done with The Greatest Principle and we're starting into other spiritual laws. But this is principle number one, the greatest principle, and the first segment of the greatest principle. Okay? Okay, and you are also on the path. I have two paths, one for anybody and everybody, one for people who believe in Jesus. This is the path if you believe in Jesus. Or, if you're curious, if you're curious, I'm thrilled that you're here. And, and I'll tell you briefly uh, why this is so important to me and, and why I believe in Jesus. Okay? Um, I was having a meeting. Uh, I don't remember where it was. It was not in the United States. And uh, a friend of mine who would have labeled himself, because I've heard him do it, as new age in his world view, introduced me to this uh, very famous, highly thought of yogi, okay, who worked with people and basically preached, taught, and was a healer, all right? People would come to him if they had physical health issues to be healed, and, and, and he was renowned for that. And it was interesting, while we were having lunch, that the yogi and I just hit it off and had a great time. And and he said um, he had great respect for me as a follower of Jesus, okay? And and he said, Jesus is the master healer. I'm considered a healer, he said. But Jesus is the master healer, and he is my master healer. And my new-age friend was shocked he said that and didn't really like it, as best I could tell from his body language. But the yogi went on, oh, absolutely. He said, you know, in, as far as historical documents and stuff, Jesus is the only one where it says he healed everyone that came to him. Everyone. And the yogi said, you know, I've, I've healed some uh, a pretty good percentage, but not all. And, and no one has healed all except Jesus. And um, that's one part of it. Uh, Jesus is, uh, is, he was taught, he was um, questioned by the religious leaders is there a greatest commandment? And a lot of times Jesus either wouldn't answer their question or he would ask them a question or he would think of an answer that they really couldn't respond to like, uh, let him who's without sin cast the first stone and so it ended the, the argument or discussion. But on this occasion Jesus said, Yes, yes, there is a greatest commandment and the second one is related to the first one and it's love. And he went even further than their question and said if you truly love, the whole law is summed up in that. And you have done the whole law if you truly love. Okay? So when Hope kicked me out of the house, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a few minutes, um, I didn't even know if there was a God anymore. Period. I mean, I was so disillusioned. Um, Everything in my life was crashing at the same time, and and I'll tell you more about that later, too. So I started looking into every religion, every uh, worldview, like New Age and and those kind of things, trying to see, okay, what makes the most sense? How am I going to live my life the rest of my life? Because however I've been doing it, is sure not working, and that was being raised as a Christian in a pretty legalistic Christian environment. Um, And what it came down to for me, at least one of the big things, is that if there is a God, if, he has to be a God of love, Because love makes no sense in survival of the fittest, all right? Survival of the fittest, or or, uh, typical evolution, all right? It's all about getting what I need, even if someone else has to go lacking, or even if I have to get it from somebody else, all right? It's self-interest. It's seek pleasure, avoid pain. It's action-reaction. It's reap what you sow. It's, it's okay. Love does not really make sense in survival of the fittest. But our brain is programmed for love, which I'm going to show you in a minute. Um, we malfunction if we don't function in love. If we function in the opposite of love, fear, we malfunction every single time. And if we function in love, we don't malfunction and our life is healthy and happy and successful and it gets better and better and better. And the problem is we've had a devolution over thousands, maybe millions of years in our memories, thoughts, and feelings. Uh, Each generation's junk gets piled on to the next generation plus their new junk. All right, So we've gotten to a place where we think living in fear and malfunctioning is normal. Because it's what we see happening with everybody. And, and that's kind of the definition of normal. It is not normal. So I came to a conclusion, just sort of crying, cursing, meditating praying, thinking, reading, researching, talking to people wiser than me, that if there's a God, he has to be big on love. Because that does not make sense if there's not a God. If there's not a God, we wouldn't be programmed for love. We'd be programmed for survival of the fittest, which is seek pleasure, avoid pain, get what I know, need and want first, regardless of what happens with anybody else, okay. And it would seem there has to be truth because truth always points the way to love. Falsehood and lies always point the way to fear. So if it's about love, it's got to be about truth. A lie detector is basically um, a stress test, okay if if we answer the question and have internal fear, anger, irritation, frustration, whatever, it registers as a lie. Okay? If we have peace, it registers as truth. So again, malfunction with lies and untruths, function correctly, don't malfunction when in truth. So there has to be love, has to be truth. I believe love would always choose grace for the object of its love. You know, you're going to get good no matter what in the end because I love you. And and so I'm going to do everything I can do to help you have the best life possible for you. Including, if I'm God, acting supernaturally on your circumstances. Okay? Okay? So to me for it to make sense there has to be love has to be truth has to be grace and it can't be cheap grace okay because cheap grace violates justice and that's the other thing there has to have has to be is justice every civilization we've ever found had a system of justice either spoken or unspoken Okay. Over, as I've been working with people over the last 20, 30 years, and especially as I've worked a lot in the New Age community in the last 20 years and love those people, okay? Um, And and, I mean, I hug and kiss them when I see them, a bunch of them, all right? We stay in each other's homes. uh, Wonderful people. I've seen way more good stuff from people who would call themselves New Age than I have from a lot of more legalistic Christians, okay, who can be harsh and hateful and, well, that's not love, all right? And the Bible says, as a Christian, we're supposed to be known by our love. That's how people can tell who we are, by our love. Well, that certainly wasn't how it was in the uh, situation I grew up in with uh, church and religion and all that. Okay, so there has to be love, there has to be um, truth, there has to be grace, but it can't be cheap grace, it has to be paid for in order to not violate justice. Okay, I could only find one system in the world that had all of those. It had love rather than fear, It had truth rather than falsehood and error. It had let me put you at least equal to myself, if not above myself, which is not survival of the fittest, okay? It had grace, but it was paid for grace. In fact, paid for by the most painful thing I believe God ever could have gone through. All right, giving his innocent son up to die for me and not just die, but this horrible, torturous death, Uh, not to mention, you know, his life up until then, which wasn't all roses either. All right, but if I were God way back in the beginning. Thinking, okay, I'm lonely. I'll make me a man, and I wanna, and I want this to be a loving relationship. For God so loved the world that He gave. Okay, so He was lonely, and He wanted a loving relationship with me and with you. But if I'd been God at the beginning, knowing, okay, but if I do this, my son and I are, are going to have to go through the most painful thing we could possibly ever go through. and and suffer the most we could ever possibly suffer in order to purchase this for Alex. I guarantee you, if I had been God, I would have said, well, we may do something, but we're not doing that one, or we're not doing it that way, because I'm not going to intentionally inflict the most suffering and pain possible on myself and my son I mean, I'm God. I can do anything I want. Let's do it in a way that won't cost me anything. Let's do it in a way that's just easy and fun for God. Alright, that's what I would have done. It's not what God did. God loved me like a family member before I ever came into being to the point that God was willing to go through the most suffering and pain possible so that we could have a system that is love, truth, grace that is paid for and true justice. And this was the only system I could find um, like that. And it's also amazing to me that God started, after the Garden of Eden, God started with Plan B. Who does that? Nobody does that. Nobody starts with Plan B. They start with Plan A, right? I mean, in fact, if you were in a business negotiation with someone, well, this is the way we think we'll work, work. but, you know, let's do this way. It's going to take time and cost us money, but not work. (laughs) <laughs> you'd laugh them out of the meeting. You're saying, this. I don't want to be in business with this person. They're an idiot, all right? But God started with plan B, what was called the old law. Uh, and, and it says um, that the very, this is just unimaginable, that the purpose of the old law, which was, if you do this, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And it's all about the goods and bads and the check marks. How many check marks versus how many X marks sins you have. And is your percentage high enough of good to bad for you to be a good person and be forgiven and all that. But it was all about you doing it with your willpower right enough. Okay. Well, it says that God did that whole thing so that sin would increase. He knew it would never work. He had plan A before he ever started plan B, but for some reason he needed to start with plan B. You know what I think? I And I don't know, and you're welcome to your opinion. I think God knew that in this... Physical world that we live in, that He created for us to live in, where everything does work by stimulus response, action reaction, reap what you sow. It's the natural laws of nature: gravity, inertia. Okay, it's it's the way everything works, and and the way we grow up believing and doing things. Is what I call the three-step success plan that we've had for the last 75 years in self-help that is actually a plan that leads to failure and that will cause you to fail even if you weren't failing before. Which is decide what you want, number one. Number two, make a plan to get what you want, put it into action, okay? Revise it as needed. And number three, with your willpower, never give up working the plan until you get what you want. All right? Almost every self-help book on success in the last 75, 80 years teaches that three-step paradigm. And they have a 97% failure rate. Why? Because it's a plan for failure, not success. And I'm going to explain that in a few minutes because it is fear-based, not love-based. And it is willpower-based versus supernatural power-based. Okay? The new system, the plan B, if you will, that was the plan all along is the plan of love, truth, grace, and justice. And I believe the only one that exists anywhere In the world. The problem is that those of us who have called ourselves Christians and gone into buildings that said Christian and that sort of thing, um, we have messed it up. All right? We have not been known by our love. So much of the time it's been about power, control, the old law. of if you do good, you'll be thought of good in church. If you do bad, you'll be thought of bad in church. And we gossip about all these other people out here that are doing wrong things. And goodness gracious, how did we get so far from what it was supposed to be? Love, grace, that doesn't do that, okay? Um, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Gossip is mentioned in the same sentence as far as a sin with murder, okay? Of course, somebody murders someone, the whole church is talking about it, and oh, they're a really bad person. But people gossip all the time, and and nothing. Do not judge, that's another commandment, all right? Wow, church was the most judgmental place I've ever experienced in my life, but it's not supposed to be. That's how we've messed it up, all right? And so I'm wanting to start something here, have no idea what it is or will be, um, but that is real and hopefully what God intended this thing to be. That is grace, love, justice, truth, church, um, a successful, happy, healthy life. My best life possible. Okay? So, um, that's where I'm headed. A couple things I wanted to um, share. First uh, John 4, 18 is an amazing passage that says um, you do not experience fear with love. Not real love. Okay? Or, or love that has been perfected. There's no fear in that, and it tells why. It says because fear comes from punishment. Fear comes related to punishment. All right, and perfect love drives out fear because perfect love eliminates punishment. Now, in the new system of love, if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get good. At least long term. No matter what I do, I get. good. I mean, you can see in the New Testament, Paul is talking to them about this new thing called grace. All right, And you can just see they don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. And someone finally speaks up and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. If what you're saying is true, we could just on purpose sin more and more and more. And we would still be saved. And basically, Paul's answer was, Yeah, you're right. According to the new law, you could do that. And you would still be saved. But if you do that, you're not really understanding love. Because love will change your wants. Okay? And you won't want to do those things like you used to. That's one of the ways you know if you're living real love or not. Okay, Um, why does love eliminate punishment, thus eliminating fear? Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And Paul, in one of my favorite passages in Romans 7, when I do what I don't want to do, don't do what I do want to do, man, describes my life to a T, at least until my late 20s. And I do that over and over and over again. Does that sound like you too? He says, it's not me doing it. Oh, wow. What he's saying is, I, I mean, I would say, well, wait a minute. That's not true. I remember doing it specifically. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that in God's eyes and book, that was never written under your name because it's already been paid for before you ever do it. In fact, the sin you commit tomorrow, ten years from now, so so that now it's not about trying to do what's right in order to get a reward and not be punished, which is probably the bigger motivator. It's about doing what I do, hopefully good, out of love and gratitude of already having had my price paid. And now I'm in a place where there's no condemnation for me. No matter what I get good long-term. It's, it's remarkable. It's unbelievable. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. But I believe it's true. Okay? So, um, and let me share one other thing before we go into the actual greatest principle. This is one thing that really helped me a lot Um, when I was starting to hear and believe the truth, but was still in my old legalistic upbringing. And hope will tell you, as Larry Napier, my my mentor, uh, discipled me over about three years, that... I went through about six months where I would wake up every night uh, having night sweats and screaming from nightmares and things, okay? It was a uh, spiritual battle going on in me from that old, almost cultic programming to the new love, grace, truth, justice There's no condemnation. It was not me that did the sin. Paul said it's sin living in me that is in my sinful nature. All right. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it meant to me Um, when home kicked me out of the house and everything in my life was bad uh, and getting worse—health, money, career, uh, thoughts, feelings—you name it. Um. After I had sort of a transformation, I realized that I was letting 160 pounds of flesh hold me hostage and captive.